And we're going to read um, four verses, Matthew 8, 1 to 4. This is our uh, fifth week, I believe, in um, studying the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're trying to study who is Jesus according to these Synoptic Gospels. The story we're going to read today um, is about a leper who came to Christ and told him, if you're willing, you can, you can make me clean. And Jesus said yes and, and, and cleansed him. The story was mentioned three times uh, in the three Gospels, in Matthew 8, in Mark 1, and in Luke chapter 5. The story is pretty identical with some um, minor differences between the three synoptic Gospels. So we're only going to read it from Matthew, and we might point out a couple of small things, uh, differences as we go. Matthew 8, 1 to 4. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitude followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy, the lip, his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Amen. <coughs> Story is pretty simple. One of the miracles, many miracles that Jesus has done, and this particular one, I think that's the first incidence in the Synoptic Gospel where Jesus is actually healing a leper. That's, that might be the first leper um, that Jesus might have healed. Now, the story says that the guy came to Jesus and he worshipped him. Just a quick note here. The word worshipped him um, <coughs> is not an evidence that this guy recognized Jesus as God. You guys are with me? Uh, there are many evidences in the scripture that Jesus is God, but this is not one of them. If you run into a Jehovah Witness or somebody who doesn't believe that Jesus is God, and he's asking you, why do you believe that Jesus is God? Don't quote that scripture to them, because it doesn't really show that Jesus is truly God. The word worship, the word Greek worship here is um, pros kineo. It comes from two Greek words. The first one is pros, which is toward, and then the verb kineo, which literally means to kiss, or this is interesting, like a dog licking the master's hand. The idea here is of the utmost respect to the person that is being worshipped in, in a sense. If you look at Mark, you're going to see that the guy kneeled down before Jesus. If you look at Luke, Luke translated, or the translation we have, is that he fell down on his face and he implored him. Why does this act of worship that was offered to Christ, in a way, not an evidence that Jesus is God? Here is why. Because that Greek word was used in the Septuagint. What is the Septuagint? the Greek translation of the Old Testament before Christ, to show respect to human. It is not exclusively used in the Bible to show respect to God. You guys are with me? For example, there are many, many examples, but the one here is Genesis 33, um, verse 6. It says this, Then the handmaids, that's when Jacob was about to meet Esau, and then... The Bible tells us in that incidences that the handmaid came near to Esau and they 
and their children and they bowed themselves before Esau. Now that's the exact same Greek word that was used here to describe that leper worshiping <coughs> Jesus. Obviously the maids and their children didn't think that Esau was deity incarnate. You guys are with me? Yes. So again, I, I want you to know that when you present your faith to people who disagree with you, you need to have some solid, strong arguments. Don't present an argument that is not strong and then say, hey, they just don't want to believe it. No, they have some good points that you need to reconsider. Amen? Mm -hmm. So that particular word simply says, what Matthew is telling us here simply is that this leper came to Jesus and he showed Jesus the utmost respect. Now, granted, I gave you the flip side of that coin is this. This guy acknowledged that Jesus can heal him, right? He said this, if you are willing, you can make me clean, right? So this guy had the acknowledgement that Jesus has the ability and the power to, to actually heal him from leprosy, which is very rare, never even, even happened before at that point. So there's some merits here to the arguments that maybe he acknowledged that Jesus is God or something, but it is not conclusive if you're not already a Christian. If you don't already believe it, it's not conclusive. You guys are with me? All right, moving forward. So that leper came to Jesus and he told him this, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, let me ask you a question. What was the doubt that this leper had that Jesus had the will or that Jesus had the ability to make him clean? Which one? The will. He said, you can. You sure have the power to make me clean. But the question is, I'm not sure if you have the desire, the will to make me clean. Now, when the guy said, you can make me clean, that's actually a massive expression of faith. As a matter of fact, before this guy, with the exception of Naaman the Assyrian in the Old Testament, there is absolutely not a single leper. Well, Miriam, the sister of Moses, but that was a specific situation. All the other lepers in the Old Testament, nobody ever got healed from their leprosy. And Jesus himself, when, when the disciples of John the Baptist came to him and said, Are you the Messiah or should we wait for another one? Jesus mentioned back that cleansing the leper is a mark of the Messiah. He said this in Matthew 11, 4-5. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. See, that's a mark of the Messiah. That when the Messiah come, one of his marks is that he will cleanse lepers. Now this guy comes to Jesus and says, you can cleanse me. So in an essence, he's acknowledging that Jesus is probably the Messiah. He knows that he has the power to cleanse him. However, what this leper questioned is not Jesus' ability to cleanse him, but Jesus' desire, his will. Would you be willing to cleanse me? Because if you will, you sure can. But would you take somebody like me? And in essence, this guy was just so down. He felt he's so unworthy. He doesn't deserve that Jesus would cleanse him. He said, God, I am so, in, in an essence, Jesus, I am so messed up. I'm not sure if you ever will be willing to consider taking someone like me. That's what he was telling Jesus. I am so awful. I'm so bad. I am the bottom of everything. I'm not sure if you will look at somebody even as bad as I am. 
That's why he said, if you're willing to look, to, to look on somebody like me, I know for sure that you are able to do that. Now, why was he feeling so low like that? Maybe it helps us to understand the background of, of that time and how the, the Jewish community, the Jewish culture would look at lepers and even how God's word tells us who the lepers are. Amen? The Bible tells us or the concept or the perceptions of leper at that time is they are unclean people. Ceremonially, from, from the perspective of God's law, they are filthy and they are unclean. Amen? Think about this. Jesus didn't say, is leprosy a sickness or not? It is, right? But we never hear about healing the leper, but we always hear about cleansing the leper. Because leprosy in, in its DNA from the Jewish perspective is not just a sickness and a disease, which it is, but it's mainly filth and uncleanness that need to be cleansed. So that's how people perceive them. It's like if you're a leper, you are filthy, you are unclean. And not only that, they lived all their lives in shame and they were excluded from the presence of God. Where do we get all of that from? From the law of the leper in Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. This is what the scripture says. Now the leper on whom the sword is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare or shaved. And he shall cover his mustache, which in that culture, a sign of manhood. Now you need to live in that sort of shame. You tear your clothes and you have to shave your head, cover your mustache that you're not even a man anymore. And cry. <clears throat> they have to be outside the town. And if somebody ever is coming close to them accidentally, the leper is commanded to cry out and say, unclean, unclean. If somebody come close to them, he say, watch out. I am so unclean. I am so filthy. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sword, he shall be unclean. He is unclean. You get the point? How many times unclean here? Four, five times. God said the leper is unclean and he shall dwell where? Alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp because the tabernacle, God's presence is inside the camp. The leper is unclean. He should be excluded from the very presence of God and he should live outside the camp. Imagine this is your life for years, if not even decade. If somebody accidentally walking toward you, they don't even notice you. All you have to do is to cover your mustache and cry out, unclean, unclean. You're living by yourself. You're not in contact with people. You don't talk to anybody for years, even decades. That is the situation of that leper when he encountered Christ. That's pretty sad, isn't it, right? Not only that, but being a leper is also means that you're hopeless and you have a disease can never be cured. It is not like there is hope for you that eventually you can get out of that state. This is a state that if you're a leper, you're stuck in it, you absolutely have no hope and you can never be cured. Remember in, in the Old Testament when Naaman the Assyrian uh, heard about Elisha the prophet and he wanted to be healed from his leprosy? So the king of Assyria sent to the king of Israel a message saying, Hey, I'm sending you the captain of my army, Naaman the Assyrian. He's a leper. Make sure that he's healed. Now look what the king of Israel say. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and he said, look at this, am I God to kill and make a life? 
It's like healing the leper as at that level. You have to be God to has the power to kill and to make a life. That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leper. For please consider to see how he seeks quarrel with me. In other words, the king of Israel is saying, this guy is just trying to get into a fight with me. He's putting a task in front of me that is absolutely impossible, will never ever happen. He's just using that as an excuse to get into a fight with me, right? And what is that? What is that incidence that is never going to happen? The one that is absolutely impossible is that the leper will ever be healed, right? So you have this guy who's a leper, that's a hopeless state, incurable disease, isolated from everybody. He cannot be touched, he cannot be approached, and if anybody accidentally come close, he has to say, I'm unclean, unclean, unclean. He's living in a constant state of shame, isolation, and hopelessness. And not only that, but in the eyes of the people around him, he is as good as dead. When Miriam, the sister of Moses, complained that he's married that Cushian woman, God struck her with leprosy. And that's what we read that verse in Numbers 12, 12. Moses, I think it's Aaron here, talking to Moses to pray to God to heal Miriam. And then Aaron is saying this, Please do not let her as what? One dead. Being a leper is equal to the one who is dead, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So for, for the Jewish culture, even from a scriptural perspective, being a leper is being as good as dead. Now imagine being in that state, not for a day or two, not for a week or two, not for a year or two, maybe for a decade or two, maybe multiple decades. That was the status of that leper when he encountered Christ. No wonder he was like, I don't know if he even want to look at me or do anything to me because I am just so messed up. I am the lowest that you can ever encounter. Would you ever, ever consider someone like me? Amen? Now, if you compare the three Gospels together, together, Luke, who's a physician, is the only one who write that phrase. He was full of leprosy. Amen? Now, Luke is a doctor, so he looks at it from like, a scientific perspective. Everybody else said, Matthew and Mark said he was a leper, but Luke is the only one who said he was full of leprosy. Now, the idea here is that leprosy was not just one sore on his body that you cannot see or just a couple of sores here and there. His body is so messed up with leprosy, you can never mistake him that he is definitely a leper. Amen? In other words, what Luke was telling us, even among the lepers, this guy was so messed up. Amen? Now imagine this, the leper community in a way is the bottom of the, of the society of that time. Everybody despised them and rejected them. And this guy was even the worst of the worst of his people. Amen? No wonder when he came to Jesus, he wasn't sure if Jesus would even look at him. Remember, Jesus at that time was going around on Saturdays preaching in the synagogues. Everybody knows he, he is 
uh, demons will cry out and they say, you are the Holy One of God, right? That is the reputation that Jesus had at this point. So think about this. The leper who is so filthy, so unclean, living in shame for decades, even decades, and he's know that he's isolated as good as dead. Here's about Jesus who's pure and who's holy, and now he's encounter him. No wonder he was wondering, Jesus, would you ever, ever look at somebody as messed up as I am? But look what Jesus did. Jesus, the scripture says in Matthew, that he stretched his hand and he did what? Touched him. Now, according to the law in Leviticus, no one can touch the leper. When Jesus did that, in an essence, he was violating the commandment of God. In an essence, because if you, well, number one, the disease is contagious. That's why you're not allowed to touch them. But number two, because it's uncleanness. In the Old Testament, if you touch a leper, if you touch something the leper touched, not just the leper himself, if you touch something the leper touched, you are also unclean in the eyes of God. You guys are with me? But Jesus touched him. Maybe this guy was with leprosy for a decade or two, a year or two, whatever the length of leprosy he had, that was the first time he was ever touched by anyone when Jesus stretched his arm and touched him. Amen? Now think about this. Why would Jesus violate God's law for two? Well, a couple of things here. Number one, Jesus wanted to show him that he is willing to take him in. And he confirmed his will with that one touch. Amen? But number two, because Jesus' power and holiness will overcome any uncleanness and any undefilement. Amen? The reason why God commanded in the Old Testament that if you touch a leper, you have to be unclean and isolated is that when we human come in touch with sin, uncleanness, sin overpower us and we become unclean. Amen? But Jesus is not like you and me. Amen? When uncleanness come in touch with the divine son of the living God, uncleanness doesn't overcome him. His holiness overcome sin and uncleanness. Amen? So Jesus touched him and instead of Jesus being unclean, the man ended up being cleansed. Amen? And throughout the Gospels, Jesus a couple of times touched stuff that he was not supposed to touch according to the Old Testament. The woman who has the issue of blood in Matthew chapter 9. It wasn't Jesus touching her, it was him, her touching him. But the point still valid, this woman, should have not, this woman should have never touched Jesus. But he touched her, she touched him, and she ended up being healed. Even the daughter of Jairus, who she was dead, Jesus went to heal her. And when Jesus got into the room with his three disciples, she was laying dead. Again, commandment in the Old Testament, you cannot touch a dead body because if you touch a dead body, you yourself will be uncleansed. Amen? You will be like... Um, uh, defiled but Jesus hold the dead body by the hand hold the woman the girl by the hand and commanded her to rise up and she did amen why because Jesus is far more powerful than any undefilement when undefilement comes in touch with the power of the living Christ every undefilement will be cleansed amen so Jesus touched that guy he touched him with his hand and he told him this I am willing be 
cleansed. This is two separate things, right? Yeah. The first part is, I am willing. Yes, the guy was so down. He was so desperate. Jesus, would you ever consider somebody as filthy and as sinner as I am? And he heard the best three words he could have ever hear throughout his whole life. He heard Jesus saying, I am willing. Amen? The Jesus said, I don't care how much messed up you are, how sinful you are, how far you have gone from God, how deep in the pit of sin you are, I am willing to take you in. Amen? 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 This is the good news as good news can ever get. I am willing, Jesus said. Amen? Amen. Now, let me show you a couple of examples in the scripture where, where God or Jesus, synonymous here, were willing to take people who were at the bottom of everything as sinful as they can ever get, yet Jesus was still willing to take them in. I'll give you three examples. Amen? First example is King Manasseh. That's in the Old Testament. He is the son of King Hezekiah, who was a godly king, who did a lot of good things to, to honor God. Now, we'll read a couple of bits and pieces about King Manasseh. We're going to read a couple of passages here. In 2 Kings 2, 2 to 16, here is what the scripture says about King Manasseh. And he did evil, look at that, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord has cast out before the children of Israel. He was very evil king, one of the most wicked we're going to see. Verse 3, for he rebuilt, look at that, rebuilt, his father turned him down. So he goes back and he rebuilds the high places which Hezekiah, his father, has destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made wooden images as Ahab, the most evil king Ahab, king of Israel, has done. And look at that. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and he served them. He's worshiping idol and he's not worshiping the living God. Verse 5, and he built altars for all the hosts of heaven. Look at this. In the two courts of the house of the Lord. He went into God's tabernacle, in God's temple, and inside God's temple, he built altars not for God, but for evil idols. I mean, you can't get any more wicked than this. You kind of like, God, I don't care about you at all. I'm going to build altars to worship idols in your very own house. Isn't that crazy? Verse 6, and he made his son pass through the fire, practiced to saying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Look at verse 7. He even, like... All of that wasn't even enough. He even did worse than that. He even set a carved image of Ashtaroth that he has made in the house of which the Lord David and to Solomon his son, this house, in this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. In God's temple, he didn't just raise altars to worship false idols. He put actual idols inside the very house of God. You're talking about being evil. Talking about being wicked. If you skip with me to verse 9. And they, Judah, his, his people that he was king over, paid um, well, God was trying to call them, but picking up from verse 9, they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do what? More 
evil than the nation whom the Lord has destroyed before the children of Israel. Think about that. Manasseh seduced Judah to do more wicked things than the nations that the Lord has destroyed before them, the things that provoked God into anger. Under Manasseh, Judah did even more evil than that. Verse 11, because Manasseh, the king of Judah, has done this abomination, he has acted now. God is talking here in verse 11. He's talking about Manasseh and he's saying this. He has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were, who were before him. And he also made Judah sin with the idols. Who's more wicked? King Manasseh or the Amorites and the Gentiles that God destroyed? King Manasseh was more wicked than all of them, right? That's what God said. Verse 16, moreover, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood on top of everything that he has done. Witchcraft, passing his son in the fire, worshiping idols in the very house of God. On top of all of that, the Bible says, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he has filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of God. Talking about an evil king. He can't get any more evil than that, right? This is one wicked king. He exceeded and excelled in sinning against God. In, in the book of Chronicles, we pick up a little bit more about that story from 2 Chronicles 33, 9 to 11. And it says this, Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray, so that they did more evil in the... Uh, more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. And look at this. Look at this. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So Manasseh is going around doing all this pure, absolute evil and wickedness. In the meantime, God is keep sending his prophets and his people one after another to try to bring them back. And what does Manasseh and his people do? Nothing. They paid no attention to all what the Lord was telling them or calling them back. Now it says this. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with the bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. Amen. He deserved it. Any problem here? Oh my gosh, he absolutely deserved it to be hooked in his nose and be driven like an animal. Now look at this. In 2 Chronicles 33, 12 to 13, we read this. In his distress, he sought the favor of God. When he was in prison, when he has messed it up and everything came crushing and trembling on his face, when he got into the lowest of his case, his status, he went seeking after God. I don't know about you, but if I was God at that point, Amen. I will be like, I told you so. Now you're coming back to me. Now you want me to have mercy on you. Forget it. I tried so many times to bring you back and you never cared. You went intentionally. Do what is wrong in my sight. Now you're coming back to me. I will never look at you, right? That's what I would do, right? Right? But look at this. In his distress... He sought the face of the Lord, his, his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestor. I don't know about you, but my imagination, this is not in the Bible, this is just how I picture it. 
The one prayer, I imagine Manasseh sitting in the dungeon with a hook in his nose and he's being humiliated. The one prayer, he was crying out to God. I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm just assuming that the prayer that Manasseh was lifting up to God in that dungeon is this. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Amen? Manasseh said, God, I messed it up so much. I don't deserve that you even look at me. I did the most evil in your sight. I ignored you over and over ago. I don't know if you will ever take somebody as sinful, as awful, as, as messed up as I am. But if you ever, ever be willing to look at me, I know that you can make me clean. Amen? What happened? The Lord was moved by his entreaty. The same Jesus who was moved with compassion when he saw that the leper is crying and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The exact same God moved with passion on Manasseh when he heard his entreaty and listened to his plea so that he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And Manasseh, what? Knew that the Lord is God. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Was God willing to take Manasseh back? He was willing. No matter how bad he messed it up, God, Jesus still took him back. Amen? I am willing. The same three words that the leper heard in Matthew chapter 8, Manasseh himself heard in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. I am willing. Let's look at another example. A sinful woman that we read about in Luke chapter 7. In Luke 7, 37 to 39. Look at this. Now Jesus was in the house of Simon, who was a Pharisee. And they sitting down and dining. And look what the scripture says in verse 37. And behold, a woman in that city who was what? Oh, wait a minute here. Dr. Luke, I have a question for you. What do you mean a woman in the city who was a sinner? Dr. Luke, as far as I understand, every woman in that city is a sinner, right? Not only every woman, but every man in that city is a sinner, right? Every person in that city is a Sinner, there is not a single person that is righteous in that city where Jesus was. Yet, even among sinners, this woman was known as a sinner. How bad, how messed up you need to be that and even among a bunch of sinners, you're still known as the sinful one. But that's how this woman was. She was not your average sinner, Luke is trying to tell us. She was the chief of sinners. That's what Luke was trying to tell us. She was the worst of the worst. She was the one who will do everything wrong. She was selfish. She was filthy. She will do everything wrong. She probably may be a prostitute. I mean, think of the filthiest of sins. She probably had many, many abortions. Who knows how filthy this woman was. So much so that she was known in the city as the sinful one. But this woman comes to Jesus, and this woman was so broken because of her sin. At least that leper got himself to, to put a, a phrase together and told Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This woman was beyond bro that brokenness. She was at the point that she couldn't even talk or tell Jesus...
but I'm not sure if you will. She couldn't even get herself to say that phrase to Jesus. What did she do? She knew that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. That's all that she did. She didn't say a word. Again, this is me. This is not in the Bible. But I think that this woman didn't even say anything to Jesus because she doesn't have any strength in her. She was beyond the point of repair. She was so broken to the point that she could not even tell Jesus, I know you can't cleanse me, but would you ever be willing to take a sinner like me? She couldn't because she was so beyond repair. But friends, with her tears, with wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, with everything she, that she was doing at Simon's house, at that table she was pretty much crying out the exact same prayer that the leper cried in Matthew chapter 8. She was just saying this, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And the same wonderful three words that the leper heard in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus told him, I am willing, is in an essence the same exact words that the sinful woman has heard in Luke chapter 7. She, she heard Jesus, not physically, but he said in an essence, I am willing to take you in. So much so that he told her, go in peace, your sins have been forgiven. Amen? Let me give you another example. Last example. The prodigal son. We know that story from Luke chapter 15. Verse 11 to verse 24. Here is what happened. We know that story very well. Jesus is telling a story and he's saying, A man had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided their prop his property and between them, the older and the younger son. Let me ask you a question. When do you actually receive your inheritance? When your father or the one who has the inheritance dies, right? So in an essence, what this son was telling his father is like, you know what? You're to me as good as dead. Just give me my money. I'm out of here. That's in an essence what he was telling his father. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off to a distant country as far as he can be from his father. He just wanted to be not in the next village and live whatever he wants. He went to a distant country as, as far away from his father as he can possibly be. And there he squandered his wealth in what kind of living? Wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself, pretty much sold himself as a slave to a citizen of the country. And he went to, to his field and started feeding his pigs. And look at verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But even the food of pigs he could not find. No one could give him anything. 
when he came to his senses. What? Wow, verse 17. When he came to his senses, amen? He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit up and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, he's preparing his sermon. He's saying this, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me a slave to you. Isn't that pretty much the same cry that the leper had? I am not worthy. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve that you have mercy on me. I don't deserve that you give me a second chance. If you are willing, if you would give me a chance, if you would take me in, you sure can cleanse me. And in essence, that was the very cry of the heart of the prodigal son. I don't know if you will take me back or not. I, you shouldn't probably because I messed it up so much but if you would ever have mercy on me if you would ever take me back I don't even want to be your son just make me your servant so he got up and he went to his father but why look at this but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him look at that the same Jesus who was filled with compassion for the leper the same God who was filled with compassion for Manasseh the same Jesus who was filled for compassion for the adulterous woman is the father here who was filled with compassion for his prodigal son and he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him and the son said to him now the son still doesn't get it he still want to go through his speech that he has been preparing and he's saying father I have sinned against heaven and against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son look if you go back to verse 16 or verse, um, I'm sorry, 18, 19. You're going to see that his sermon or his speech was not finished, right? What he was preparing is this. Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. That was his full speech. But when he actually got to say it, he couldn't finish it. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And instead of saying, make me your servant, the father cut him off. And he said, just enough. And then he commanded his say, quick, throw the biggest party ever because my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. Amen? Amen. The same Jesus who was willing who told the leper, I am willing, is the, in an essence the exact same words that the prodigal son has heard from his father. He said, God, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to come back to you. But the father said, I am willing. I don't care how messed up you are. I am still willing to take you back. I am willing, the father said. Amen. Some preachers will, some commentators will tell you that the theme, the point of that story is really how the prodigal son has come back to his father. 
Some will disagree and say, well, the point of that story is really the older son who was in his father's house and never got his father's heart. But friends, I don't think that this story is either about the younger son who was went prodigal and went far away from his father, or, and it's neither about the older son who was in God's house, in his father's house, and never got his heart. This story is really about the father who has been so longing for his son to come back to him, so much so that when he saw him, he ran to him, he fell on his neck, kissed him, and took him back, and was so willing to forgive all the mess that he has have done. I am willing. I don't know about you, but I am very thankful this morning that Jesus is willing to take me, to take you back, regardless of how many sins we have committed, how much we have messed it up. If you just turn back to him and say, God, I am a mess. I just messed it all up. Would you take me in? Would you be willing to spare me? And you will hear the greatest three words a human being can ever hear. I am willing. Amen? But Jesus said, he's not just said, I am willing. But then he said, what? Be cleansed. And then we read in Matthew that immediately his leprosy was Right away, Jesus says one word and everything changes. The guy might have been a year or two, a decade or two living in that miserable status, but he comes to Jesus. Jesus says one word, be cleansed. All of the leprosy is gone once and for all. Amen? Amen. And he commands him two things. He said, don't tell anybody about this. And the reason is Jesus don't want the people to perceive him as the political Messiah who's going to deliver Israel from the, the bondage of Rome. That's why Jesus didn't want the people to have that misconception. But Jesus told him this, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Who's them? The people. The people of the city. Because under the law of Moses, in order for that leper who has been healed now to be totally restored to the fellowship of God, he has to be declared by a priest that he has been cured. And he has to offer certain sacrifices. So Jesus here is saying, go do what is commanded in the book of Moses. Go through the process by which you can be taken back into the community. Amen? And I have no question in my mind that he did and that he was taken back. But look at this. Jesus said, be cleansed. Now all of a sudden, the one who has been unclean, now he has been made holy. Amen? The one who is living in shame, now has been given beauty for his shame. The one who is excluded from the very presence of God, now back in that city where the temple and the presence of God is. Amen? The one who is living in incurable, hopeless, hopeless situation, now is enjoying healing and the joy of being among his people. Amen? The one who is good, as good as dead, now is, very, is infused with the very life of the risen Christ. Amen? Because the scripture says, if anyone in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. If anyone in Christ Jesus, he is what? Let me close with that. Amen. Amen. Um, I had a friend of mine who's visiting from overseas, and she uh, just posted something on Facebook. Uh, Samuel, Samuel Shadwick, I don't know who that is, but he said this. He said this. He said, it's amazing what God can do 
what God can do with all the broken pieces of your heart if you give it all to him. Amen. Think about that. Because I feel like this is exactly what I'm talking about today. It's amazing what God can do with all the broken pieces of your heart if you give it all to him. Right? Today, I don't care what you have done in the past. I don't care what's your burden this week, what, how many sins you have committed this week or last week or last year. It doesn't matter how much you have messed it up. If you want to be cleansed, if you want to be healed, Jesus will take you in every broken piece of your heart. He will take it in and he will make something beautiful out of it. If you just give him all the broken pieces. Don't hold anything back. Because if you hold something back, he can't work with it. Imagine you're holding quarter of, the bro of your broken heart and say, Jesus, here's three quarters. Try to work with this. What's he going to do with that last quarter? Where he going to bring it from, right? You have to give him all the broken pieces. And that's what this leper did. He said, Jesus, I messed up, but would you take me in, all of me? And Jesus said, I will. Manasseh was the same thing. It's like, God, I messed it all. I, I broke everything that I could have kept. I messed it up. Would you take me in? Jesus said, I am willing. The adulterous woman, the sinful woman, Jesus, I am a mess. Would you take me in? I am willing. The prodigal son, Father, I messed it all. I, I, I lived a wild life. I wasted all your inheritors. I treated you rotten. Would you be willing to take me in? The father said, I am willing. Would you Come to Jesus today and say, would you be willing to take me in? Because if you do, I promise you, you hear this exact same words from Jesus. I am willing. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray.